When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We are here to save football. Easy mission, Josh Norris, Hayden Winks. 20 of our guys for week five of fantasy football. Instead of going game by game, we wanted to pinpoint the 20 players that we think define the next 15 games of the NFL slate. Hayden, let's start with the chalk. I'm going to eat it because Damian Harris is the first name. The most beloved by me, the most hated, hated by the spreadsheets out there against the Detroit Lions this week. Patriots has three and a half point favorites. The man is second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns last season, fourth in the NFL in rushing touchdowns this season. I know it can be Ramondre Stevenson week. It can be Damian Harris week. But most importantly, when you look at the Detroit Lions, the players to hit 10 carries against them this season. Dalvin Cook went 96 and one score. Rashad Penny, 151 and one score. Jalen Hurts, 91 and one score. Antonio Gibson, 28 and one score. Miles Sanders, 96 and a touchdown. These two players split this backfield, but again, this is looking like it's going to be positive game script, despite the mystery quarterback starting back there. And I just love Damian Harris, even if he's not the most complete back in the league. And the Patriots are projected for a ton of points. I don't know if they're expecting Mac Jones to play, but either way, it's just the matchup for Damian Harris is completely pristine dead last and rushing EPA on defense. Uh, and, I mean, they're second in pace on offense, the Lions are. So it's like the perfect environment for rushing production. And yeah, Ramondre is playing more snaps, but you get you get points when you touch the ball. So those like third down snaps and stuff, they're, they're valuable, but they're not as valuable as the goal line opportunities. And that's where Damon Harris is going to live. I think Ram- I moved Ramondre up too. I'm not trying to diss for sure. Stevenson, but in my model, Damien's been out projecting Ramondre Stevenson. I have both of them inside the top 30. I have Damian Harris right on the like RB 20-ish range. Oh, let's boogie. Let's boogie. On Sunday morning, we're going to get a ton of, I'm sure, Ramondre questions along with Damian. I want to shove both of them in mm-hmm. into my lineups because I think it's conceivable for both to get 13 to 17 rushes this weekend or touches this weekend. And you, you said it. It's not just touching the football. It's also where you touch the football. I mean, Damian Harris still has six carries inside the 20-yard line this season to Ramondre Stevenson's three. He has mm-hmm. five to two inside of the 10-yard line. I know Ramondre can hit the big run and make a really flashy play. So can Damon Harrison. Everything is blocked up. And I love how the Patriots have kind of gone back to what made them successful last year with more and more of this power rushing power scheme. And yep. again, that that fits into what Damien certainly does well. Um, my only point here is 
what if, and really the last time we saw Mac Jones out there, he was trying to launch passes vertically down the field. But again, just the front that the Lions have where it is just a sieve in terms of allowing rushing points. I expect the Patriots to go out there and have this game plan around both of them. And it's not nothing crazy, but Damian Harris's reception totals are double what they were in the last two seasons this year. So it's everything's going up, including this eruption spot. Same thing with Mr. Nick Chubb. This one's too obvious. We'll spend about 14 seconds on it. Nick Chubb is the best <laughs> running back in the league. You look at the chart. The Browns are projected to score a bunch of points. The Los Angeles Chargers, they're trying on defense. They're, I would say their defense is even better, but they're missing Bosa, and they've given up 50-yard runs to James Robinson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Damian Pierce. You know what they all have in common, Josh? They run four, five, nine or higher. Nick Chubb is like w- infinitely more <laughs> explosive. So yeah, I mean, everyone knows this, but this is like classic Nick Chubb mismatch week. I'm going to butcher this stat, but I believe there have been 12 carries this season of 50 plus yards out there in the league. And the Los Angeles Chargers have given up three of them. And they're all slow running backs. It's not like this is like <laughs> just random one off like Raheem Mostert brings it to the house. Like, no, James Robinson off of torn Achilles is, is breaking these off. Yeah. And it's not just the 50 plus yard runs. It's the 10 plus yard runs. And Nick Chubb already has 15 of those a season. The next closest, some great backs and Aaron Jones and Saquon Barkley and Khalil Herbert. Are, are right around that area. Um, I'm just so glad we can appreciate Nick Chubb this season. He's been doing it this way for three to four to five years. This really was the theory of the play when selecting him. I didn't know Jacob was going to play this well, but him playing yeah. this well is allowing Nick Chubb to get all these opportunities, yeah, sure. right? And the offensive line playing this well. Um, because let's say, you know, Jacob Brissett was playing you know, Baker Mayfield level level football, then mm-hmm. Nick Chubb wouldn't be able to sustain this caliber. He might yeah. have it in spurts and long gains, but it's not like chunk gains and chunk plays and and the type of opportunity he's getting every single contest too. Yeah, and the, the schedule has been kind to him. That will tighten up later in the season. But the big thing, the knock against Nick Chubb is his ceiling relative to the other backs isn't as high because he doesn't catch passes. But the, the issue with that is, is this year, None of the running backs are catching passes. You know, like there is no ceiling across all of fantasy right now. So Nick Chubb has been a top five back. I guess like to make this less obvious, like I think that Kareem Hunt is like definitely a flex play and probably a flex start this week if you are into those sit-start decisions. These teams aren't exactly how they were last year. And again, this game, the Chargers are favored on the road by two and a half points as a total of 47 and a half. Um, But last year, this game went 47 to the Chargers at home to 42 to the Browns on the road. And as we outlined it, I remember talking about this in the wrap-up show where um, they were just running down the Chargers' throats every single series, every single series. And the Chargers had to claw back and win this game by scoring, what, 26 points in the fourth quarter. And a key part of that was their fourth down efficiency. Like they went for it three times. They connected three times. Meanwhile, the Browns only converted on fourth down one out of every three times. So I, I, I... vividly remember that game being like okay love brandon staley's confidence and ability to have his team go for it on fourth down and it was the key difference last year i remember a big david and joku reception against the chargers last year too so yeah let's do that uh let's hmm where should we go next let's go to the washington football team and the tennessee titans um I know that everyone's sick of Carson Wentz, and as you should be, and even Vegas is. I mean, on the road, the Titans here are favored by one and a half, a total of 42 and a half in this game. Um, Let me throw out the negatives first. Chase Roulet is out. Their center, Sam Cosme, their starting right tackle is out. Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons have been playing at a high, high level. So 
Wes Schweitzer, who was like the second or third string center for this Washington Commanders team, is certainly unnoticed. But I think most importantly, what gives me belief in Curtis Samuel this weekend is that we get a condensed pass catching group. Um, and Tennessee's secondary is 26th in pass catching defense DVOA. So I think that you'll talk about Terry McLaurin. I'll take this end of Curtis Samuel because it's the easy button, right? He has a 4.3 a dot versus the 15.8 for Terry McLaurin. And maybe most importantly, like Jahan Dotson has been extremely efficient inside of the red zone. If that is taken away, then I think Scott Turner will know that, Hey, I need to get the ball out of the hands quickly and manufacture space and manufacture receptions and touches for Curtis Samuel. And I can see that equaling against a bad defensive secondary for the Tennessee Titans, a really, really strong week. We also have Logan Thomas going on the injury report late on Friday. That was a late addition, a calf injury. So that would even open up more volume for them. Yeah, this is a volume play. It's a matchup play. It's a little bit of everything. Washington right now is fifth in wide receiver usage. Now you're cutting that into two instead of into three. So yeah, Curtis Samuel, I have ranked ahead of Terry McLaurin, but I really like Terry McLaurin's matchup individually as well right now the titans are, have allowed the third most yards on 15 plus a dot passes down the Ooh. field that's where terry mclaurin is balling out uh he's actually tied for the nfl lead in deep targets and i think that this week just because like you said the offensive line defensive line mismatch i'm wondering if this is the week to get terry mclaurin that extra couple screens maybe a intermediate route here and there we talked about in the last show where he is getting none of that because it's all going to curtis samuel which is why we both like him this week but i'm hoping that maybe logan thomas out maybe this, this mismatch throw terry mclaurin two screens in addition to the deep stuff and the titans corners this year have not been very good they're bottom three and basically every passing uh metric out there now, we're both banking on Carson Wentz not being truly abysmal, which is always a possibility. Um, yeah, I mean, Terry McLaurin already has two fewer targets this season than, than Curtis Samuel. And I think Curtis is averaging nearly one target inside the 10-yard line every single game. And we know that so many touchdowns come from that portion of the field. So just another one here could equal a touchdown for him. Okay. I went Curtis. You went Terry. Let's now go to T. Higgins. Um, back to the big time, back to the big superstars, going against the Baltimore Ravens, who are favored by three points in this game, actually, a total of 48 and a half. Um, let's rewind to last year, because T. Higgins is certainly connected to Joe Burrow, who threw for 941 passing yards against the Ravens' defense in secondary last year, which is the most in NFL history against one team in a single season. The big difference, though, that we have seen from the Bengals offense this year is they have just 17 explosive plays in 2022, which is tied with the Carolina Panthers for the second lowest across the league. That is 10 plus yard runs. That is 20 plus yard passes. And unfortunately, despite the lack of their explosive plays, the Bengals are still a shot play offense because it's super frustrating because they haven't really answered the answers that the defenses have put out there for stopping the 2021 version of this team. Why I think that this is possible though, for T Higgins to have a monster week is because of how much uh, attention Jamar chase is drawing each and every week, every single week. And so when they do see single high, it's not truly a single high it's single high shaded over to the side of Jamar chase. And so while, and we get to these numbers in a little bit, Joe Burrow hasn't been great against cover two. And, you know, 
the Ravens still are running a lot of cover three, but they might change it up depending on how they want to play him this week. No matter what the coverage is, I think T. Higgins has an easier path to success than Jamar Chase. Look at this screenshot. This is like the, I think this is the play that T. Higgins scored his long touchdowns. Both safeties on the right side of the field. That's absurd. They're basically doubling Jamar Chase everywhere. It's a, it's a similar, not the exact same, but a similar defensive structure between the Dolphins and the Ravens. Like the other quiet little note is the Bengals this year. Look, they're already up to fifth in neutral pass rates. We were kind of killing them historically for that, but that's gone up. So yeah, the reason why T. Higgins is matching Jamar Chase in the box scores over a basically an entire season is because the way that they're using him. I wish that they would use Jamar Chase in a little bit better ways. He's not just running these uh, deep routes down the sideline. They get him more creative, but they're choosing not to do that. And T Higgins making the most of it. I'm just hoping that he's, his ankle injury isn't a big deal. He's been limited all week in practice. He didn't look, or he looked totally fine last week, but uh, I'm with you. T Higgins when fully healthy, I think is a borderline top 10 wide receiver because the pass rates are up and he's getting the best uh, attention. And I want to stress again, how frustrating it is that Zach Taylor isn't changing enough things when defenses have changed their way for, for Joe Burrow. Cause again, they're still relying on the big play when, but when that doesn't work, you know, then the offensive line is worse or the quarterback doesn't make Houdini like plays in the pocket and that mm -hmm. can drop it too. So it's like whether rather than one thing notching and, and failing for them, it's like all three things are failing for them. Um, so, I mean, th this is, this is, a get right game where last week was a get right game after the first couple of games were like, Hey, Joe Burrow, we can, you know, start saying you're facing cover two more and more. Let's adjust to this. Let's adjust to that. Okay. Now in week five, it's, it's time to hit the ground running. And that's why I'm also going to be running with Tyler Boyd as one of my options. Oh. The Ravens have allowed the most receptions and yards to wide receivers who have lined up in the slot. They've also allowed the most, yards on targets 15 yards downfield which is kind of a tyler tyler boyd stat definitely a t higgins and jamar chase stat but i think the reason why i like tyler boyd individually this week marlon humphreys and marcus peters are both going to be lining up on the outside marlon humphrey isn't just a slot corner this year uh they're putting that brandon stevens guy inside so tyler boyd's uh efficiency has always been pretty good i think it's a, a matchup to get it going i'm I'm surprised the Bengals are projected for only like 22, 23 points this week. I, I feel like that should be a little bit higher, especially with Rashad uh, Bateman possibly or probably missing this week. I was surprised to see the Ravens still um, that big of favorites. I think that the team total should climb a little bit in the Bengals direction. Yeah. Burroughs face cover two in a league high 29.7% of his passing plays, but I've seen cover three, which is so mm -hmm. far the coverage that the Ravens have played the most on just 17.9% of his passing plays which is 31st in the league. So since I brought up T, you brought up Tyler Boyd, almost certainly it's a Jamar Chase week. That's what the people should take. From <laughs> well, it's always, it, there's always a chance it's a, it's a Jamar Chase week. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> this is always the case. Okay, you brought Rashad Bateman because that makes me actually want to talk about Lamar Jackson here. Maybe this is more of like a narrative standpoint Okay. because what we have seen from Lamar Jackson so far this season is he is thriving in the areas where he failed last year, namely versus the Blitz and out of empty I keep seeing, you know, Ronnie Stanley on the injury report, full participant, full participant. Maybe this is the week in a, you know, AFC North showdown that they do trot him out there at left tackle. But we've also seen Lamar Jackson so far this season, not this past weekend, um, but be one of the true big play threats in the league, not just running the football, but certainly uh, trying to throw vertically over and over and over again. The Bengals are fantastic at preventing big plays and they are great at keeping teams to field goals 
and not just touchdowns. I mean, they've allowed just four touchdowns, I think, to the opposing offenses so far this season for four weeks, which is pretty insane. Um, Now, on the other end, like if we think what we just outlined with the Bengals is going to happen and they score points, we haven't really seen this Ravens team trail this season, Hayden. Mm -hmm. Just 8.7% of their offensive snaps, they've been trailing. That's the lowest rate in the league. So, again, I'm not telling you like this is going to be a smash them our week. It can 100% be that. This is more from a narrative standpoint of, okay, week one, we saw Lamar, zero blitz, boom. He answered these. We've also seen empty since then. We've seen him work with Rashad Bateman, work with Devin Duvernay, work with Mark Andrews and so on and so forth. And now it's an even bigger test of a a defense that might be lacking individual superstars, but more so play as a collective unit to then put even more focus and more responsibility on Lamar. And he's playing well enough to overcome Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah, I have a ton of respect for the Bengals defense. They're leading in the percentage of series that end in touchdown or first down. They're forcing teams to settle for field goals or punt the ball here. And just historically, the Bengals defensive coordinator has had some success, at least uh, stopping the pass for Lamar Jackson. He's only averaging 202 passing yards per game. But in those games, Lamar Jackson is averaging 81 rushing yards. So especially with Rashad Bateman out, I can see the passing numbers dropping and maybe more designed runs. Maybe they get JK Dobbins more involved, but um, I, I'm struggling to, what, what to do with like Devin Duvernay, for example, I moved Same. Isaiah likely into like the, I'm fully panicking. I like fully, I mean, don't start Isaiah likely, but if you're fully panicking, like I think you can get away with it. Okay. Uh, well, what, what if Kyle Pitts is out? What if Gerald Everett is hobbled? It's as bad as it gets right you now. You know, it, it tied in. It's, it's disgusting. It's really bad. Um, I know Isaiah likely so far is just a 33% snap player. What if that jumps to 55% yeah. and they really try to work the middle of the field where maybe other than Jesse Bates, like this Bengals team might be susceptible, especially with high lows with Mark Andrews. Like that is in the range of outcomes. If Greg Roman is going to change this offense of a new wrinkle that they could add, because we could see them trot there with 13 personnel, you know, like three tight ends rather than having two outside wide receivers. So just check me real quick. Devin Duvernay right now, this is assuming Rashad Bateman's out. I have him as my wide receiver 46. Does that seem about? Yeah. It's hard because, to move him above that. Because even last week when we saw Rashad Bateman miss and check me on this, it was like Demarcus Robinson stepping, stepping in as like a pure outside guy. And Devin Duvernay's really gotten home on these highly inefficient plays that he's yeah. making ridiculous catches either in the end zone or ones that Mark Andrews is batting down to him yeah. or vertical shots. He's really fun. He's not, he's, he's really yeah. fun, but it's like a role player. Yeah. It's, it's not a full-time player. Yeah. So. Yeah. 100%. And even all thing we just said about Rashad Bateman, I would still love as the season goes along and when he gets healthy, this seem to really rely on him as more than just a vertical player because his skill set yeah. is much better than just a vertical player. It's also amazing that Lamar is seventh in the league right now among all ball carriers and 10 plus yard carries. Um, he might need a handful of those this week, too. It's pretty so. good. Uh, speaking of pretty good, the Jaguars offense this week is set up for a pretty good game. Christian Kirk is my next on the list. It is a somewhat of an eruption spot, according to my chart over here. And yeah, Christian Kirk, his usage has just been excellent. I think this like we're all starting Christian Kirk in our leagues, but I think I'm making a case that he is like kind of almost on that wide receiver one two border this week. The Jaguars are projected for the eighth most points on the week. He's the wide receiver 12 in usage. He's one of the only wide receivers that have at least 10 expected half PPR points in every single game this year. We already know 
the Texans defense isn't very good. 22nd in passing EPA. Derek Stingley, who probably is not even going to see that much Christian Kirk because he's on the outside versus Kirk on the inside. He's been battling through some injuries. He's been on the injury report with, I think, an elbow and shoulder injury. And quietly, both teams are top six in neutral pace. Uh, so we could see this thing go back and forth a little bit more than a typical Jaguars versus Texans game. But I think just in general, Trevor Lawrence is playing great. Christian oh, yeah. Kirk's in the perfect role this week. And Zay Jones is battling through an injury. I think he's going to play, but he's been limited. And Marvin Jones can't do anything. Evan Ingram hasn't been doing that much either. So it's all Christian Kirk. Lovey Smith has changed up his defense. You know, it's not like the strict vanilla cover two stuff that we used to see with him that he basically Which is weird because the league. entire defense is going know, the other way. I know. You know. Instead, we've seen some more man principles. We've, right. we've seen cover three out of him too. I think Derek Stingley is playing really well, but That's I right. highly doubt that Derek Stingley is going to be traveling with Christian Kirk into the slot here. You know, like this is a, a great performance and a great possibility for Christian Kirk when the Jaguars are favored by seven points here. You know, they're two and two. It's a total of 43 and a half here. While I see your Christian Kirk, he's not one of my names, but I might want to raise you James Robinson here because Houston has yep. allowed 372 yards on carries that initially went 10 plus yards or more down the field. So once you are breaking those 10 yard runs, they are not being able to stop super explosive plays. We've already seen James Robinson hit some of these mm -hmm. massive runs already. I think it's a bit of a down week for people's brains on what we thought of this Jaguars team heading into last week against the Philadelphia Eagles. Cause you saw those five turnovers for, for Trevor Lawrence. You saw the offensive line, not be able to stay up there. But I love the point that we made earlier this week where, you know, the Houston pass rush could not get after the backup left tackle that the Chargers put out there. How are they going to do it against this Jacksonville unit yeah. who typically Trevor Lawrence has been outstanding and not allowing pressures to convert into sacks. Yeah. Uh, on yesterday's show, I had James Robinson ranked too low, uh, moved him up to the RB 16. And we talked about, I have some concerns with James Robinson, like long-term, but as you can see when they're in neutral game scripts or in positive game scripts, it's the James Robinson show. When they start to trail, then he kind of gets phased out. But when you're seven point favorites, it's not the week to be concerned about game scripts with James Robinson. So I, I moved him up. He's like a strong RB two. I have someone else in this game. It's Damian Pierce. Look, I understand it's a running back as your seven point road dogs here. Uh, this might again be a little narrative play that goes after my heart, but entering the game against the Eagles last week, the Jaguars run defense was viewed as one of the best in the league. And then they got schooled, right? Um, we know that this Houston Texans offense is not the same thing as what the Eagles tried out there last week. And mainly the difference is Davis Mills versus Jalen Hurts, not just as throwers, the difference. But on so many of those runs, you can see the backside edge rusher or the backside linebacker have their eyes and so much focus on Jalen Hurts. So it's like extra, it's like adding an extra blocker out there at times. But I think this more speaks to the individual talent that we what we have seen from Damian Pierce so far. I mean, on a bad team. You know, a bad team that the Houston Texans are. He's averaging 5.2 yards per attempt, which is 10th among all running backs. And in first downs, he's fifth in yards after contact per attempt uh, and fifth in broken tackles, right? The other part of this, Jaguars are missing fully Fadukasi, who once he went out of last week's ball game, is exactly when Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts really hit their stride at rushing over their face. Maybe that changes, but he's been DNP all week. So, Really like Damian Pierce here, and it's that added little element that we saw last week where there were screens, they were in-phase passing receptions, so it's not just, hey, he's going to get 20 carries and that's all he can do in this offense.
Yeah, since that week one game, 14.4 expected half PPR points. That's firmly on the RB2 radar. The only thing I can, the only counter I can have possibly is just the game script. Rex Burkhead is still playing passing downs. If this game game does get out of hand, um, I can see Damien getting phased out. But if this game is close, he's been, uh, as advertised, very explosive, um, breaking some tackles too. Yep. Okay. That's it for me on that game. What's next for you? Let's go to Drake London. This one I think is pretty obvious to know uh, Kyle Pitts and the only healthy Falcon right now with over 3.5, 3.5 expected half PPR points per game is Tyler Algier. Everyone else you've never even heard of. So this is the Kyle Pitts game just based off of usage right now. They're 8.5 point or 8.5 point underdogs. Um, right now the Falcons have a positive point differential. If that wasn't the case and they were trailing as much as they're projected to this week, uh, I don't think that Drake London would be the wide receiver 27 in usage. I think it'd be much higher than that. Uh, throw in the Kyle Pitts stuff. And the last little note I have the Buccaneers, they're playing zone defense at the third highest rate right now. Kyle Pitts is the wide receiver 13 in yards per route run versus zone coverage. You're getting the usage, you're getting the game script. You're also getting the matchup. I know the Bucks defense in general is good, but individually, I think it's a good matchup for Drake London, who is just an absolute baller. What are we going to say to either in the positive corner or the negative corner without Cal Pitts in here and how that impacts Drake London? I mean, Obviously, he was the primary in all of this. I think it's arguable that he's just the better pass catcher than Cal Pitts in general. But I don't know if they can run the exact same offense as they have in the past, Hayden, where it's basically like max protect. And then we're having these two big-bodied, highly athletic pass catchers get down the field. Because other than that, they don't have someone else at tight end who can work in those splits. Or it's going to be like Olamide Zacchaeus, who's been more mm-hmm. like an intermediate pass catcher too. You know, I do wonder if like the Falcons, especially without CPAT, in this game are going to be able to run the same type of interesting. I'm not going to call it great, but interesting offense that we've seen through four games. Yeah. I don't really care how they do it. All I know is they're going to have to pass the ball more (laughs) than they have ever before. Like this is the week they have to do it. Like unless someone, someone out there is brave enough to call, call this upset. um, I think that I think the John Brady can drop 35 points and all of a sudden we're going to have, uh, Drake London in, in catch up mode. I don't care if, if it's one wide receiver sets, six wide receiver sets. I don't care if they try to run the ball in the first series. It doesn't matter. The ball is going to Drake London. You made my point for me because Tom Brady is one of my, my guys this weekend. Uh, most importantly, Hayden, this is legacy game. He's never lost three games in a row as a starter in the league ever. If the Atlanta Falcons can topple this nine or 10 point projected deficit, um, then he will. But I think that we can throw away the first three games of the season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and their offense. And most importantly, look at what we saw them be last week and realize this is now a 14 game season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. And last week he was the quarterback four overall. I mean, now this team has a is seventh in pass rate over expected. They threw the ball 16% over expectation last week. And you all know why it's because the offensive line is healthier now And most importantly, all the wide receivers are healthier now. You get Chris Godwin back. You get Mike Evans back. Maybe you get Julio Jones back with Russell Gage being in there. So, again, Tom Brady, this is a pass-first offense, especially when you consider that Leonard Fournette has been highly inefficient and the running game has been highly inefficient as a whole. And so, while 
the point spread might indicate, oh, this team's going to run the ball a lot, which is possible. In order to get there, it's because Tom Brady's going to throw the ball across the yard and dominate this Atlanta Falcons defense in secondary. Yeah, the team total is all the way back up, and I just was running it right now um, just to show you. The pass rates are up. Opening the season, we were very concerned, but since they get their wide receivers healthy, the yep. neutral pass rates are all the way back up. So positive news everywhere um, for Tom Brady. Do you have any other notes? Because I got something for you. I, I, I do. There yep. has been one big change for him, though. Like last year, we all know that he led the NFL in 20-plus yard passing attempts. This year, he's been 12th in that, but it goes a bit deeper because, no pun intended, in 10-yard depth of throw, he had a 10-yard average depth of throw in weeks one and week two. And these past two weeks, it's been at 6.1 and 6.9. Mm-hmm. Again, I think like this is constantly adjusting for him because they are trying to learn this on the fly. It's almost like that first year in Tampa where they really didn't get things going until about week 12. That might be how they've had to adjust so far this year rather than it running you know, pure all of last season. But that is something I'm going to watch where he's still getting the ball out super quick, like 2.2 time to throw. But is he still going to be able to attack vertically because he wasn't able really to do that over the last two weeks? I think it was by choice. And my I was going to bring up Chris Godwin until you brought up Tom Brady. Chris Godwin was going to be one of my guys this week um, because – Chris Godwin's been back. They've been able to just to check the ball down underneath more and more. Previously, it was just like, I mean, these guys couldn't play at wide receiver in those games. So, And uh, this week individually for Chris Godwin, right now the Falcons ha- are giving up the seventh most yards to wide receivers in the slot. If you want to, I'm not scared of AJ Terrell right now, especially for Mike Evans, but those two are going to be battling against each other. And then Chris Godwin's going to be inside full-time player, wide receiver 21 usage. I think that he is an upside wide receiver three play, even if we're not expecting him to be like, as explosive probably as he was before his injury right now. Um, everything's just going in the Bucks' favor right now. Final point. Opponents have scored on 47.5% of their possessions against the Falcons. That's the second highest rate in the league. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks are scoring a touchdown on 66% of their own red zone drives, which they haven't gotten that many red zone drives so far this season. But if you couple those things where Atlanta is allowing the opposition to get into the red zone and score points versus the Bucks also being very good once getting into the red zone, this easily could be the highest scoring game the Bucs have had all season. And I think you can still buy the dip. I mean, I bet some teams dropped Tom Brady out there in fantasy after what he did in the first three games. Yeah. They didn't expect this to turn around. I'd go pick him up and start him this week because he he should be going into it ranked as a top six or seven quarterback this week. All right, going to the other onesie position, I'm going to talk about Zach Ertz. Uh, main, main slate on Battle Royale. Uh, Travis Kelsey's not on it. Mark Andrews isn't on it. We are looking for tight ends. And I think that Zach Ertz has a chance to be quite nifty this week. Right now, teams against the Eagles are passing in neutral game scripts at the second highest rate. Uh, They're obviously playing a bunch of too deep coverage right now. They're fourth and MOFO rate, which is stands for mother. uh, I mean, middle of the field open. Uh, and Zach Ertz is going to be the checkdown option against that. He sits there in zone coverage. His ADOT is much lower than everybody else's on the team, and they're home dogs. And so far this year, the Cardinals are like 25th in neutral pace. The Eagles are like second. What happens if you know the Cardinals decide, hey, let's actually try and let's yeah. go go head to head? And I think that this matchup uh, isn't exactly perfect, but I think that there could be a 
bunch of play volume here. So very optimistic for Marquise Brown. Uh, we'll see about Rondell Moore and his injuries. But Zach Ertz, to me, has, I think, separation ability among the rest of the tight ends just because, uh, I think, for the matchup. Especially when you consider, like, both defenses on paper have been really good at stopping the run this season. Obviously, the Eagles' defensive line, the bodies that they have, the depth that they have against an Arizona offense, which other than Kyler Murray really hasn't been able to run as effectively as they were last year. Meanwhile, the Arizona Cardinals have shockingly been fantastic against the run this season. Mm -hmm. Shockingly. Like it's the J.J. Watt and Zach Allen. Zach Allen is an awesome player if you all can go and watch him because he is making plays immediately off the snap on a on a weekly basis. It's funny you brought up Zach Ertz because on the opposite end, I'm talking about Dallas Goddard, and this one is super quick. I know he doesn't have the volume of someone like Zach Ertz or someone like Tyler Higby. In fact, he's seen six or fewer targets in all four of his games this season, but the Cardinals are awful against tight ends. Granted, every year. Every year. Maybe they should draft a linebacker. A couple more. I feel like we have to make that joke every single week. I mean, <laughs> we're gonna every single one of our guys every week is going to be whoever's the tight end is against the Cardinals. Now, granted, they have faced... Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and Tyler Higby, really Please, top no talents context. and really good good names. However, Dallas Goddard belongs in that same category of, of talents, I think. Um, so again, while it might just be six targets or five targets, what Dallas Goddard is doing when he catches the ball, like some of these like shuffle moves on screen passes and then being great after the catch, really big fan of his fit in this offense, especially on some of the shorter patterns. If we're getting AJ Brown and Devonte Smith a bit more mm-hmm. vertical in this game. Yeah. I, I like all the Eagles this week. Um, anyone else on this game? Nope. That's it for me. All right. Uh, I have a couple in another game. We're going to go down South. We're going to talk about Chris Olave. Uh, right now, the saints are tied for fifth in implied uh, team total this week, all the way up to 20, 25.5. Uh, betting markets don't care that Jameis Winston now. I think Andy Dalton composed himself last week. No Michael Thomas. Uh, Alvin Kamara, I also want to mention and uh, as one of my guys, uh, Alvin Kamara, for the same exact reasons, his team total is so high. But Chris Olave, he's ninth in receiving yards, but he's 45th in touchdowns. He's obviously a positive touchdown regression candidate over the last three weeks, partially due to these injuries at the wide receiver position. He's averaging 15.7 expected half PPR points. That would make him the wide receiver four overall. Throw in the Seahawks ranking dead last in passing EPA uh, on defense, and all of a sudden you have a very, very bright future for Chris Olave this week. I was almost stunned that Olave was still being used as not purely a vertical passer or vertical player last week, but still that was like the backbone of his production Mm -hmm. because I think that he can still thrive beyond that, you know? And so if a defense finally does take away some of the deeper shots to him, one, he can get there on one or two of those, but also if you force him into seven to 12 yard routes, great. He has a skill set for that, um, for that too. So it is kind of remarkable. It's almost like this is going to be an awful analogy. Almost like Alvin Kamara's rookie year is how Chris Olave is turning into his rookie year. Remember, Alvin Kamara came in. Mark Ingram, I think, was established there. They had just signed Adrian Peterson, an aging veteran, to be the second back. And so all of us at least knew that Alvin Kamara was an exciting player based on his production in college and um, what he did at Tennessee. Yet we didn't see a pathway to opportunity and success. 
Meanwhile, they basically just traded Adrian Peterson immediately, and we got an awesome season from Alvin Kamara. It's basically doing the exact same thing here with Chris Olave, where, okay, Michael Thomas, volume hog. You bring in Jarvis Landry, who we thought can do multiple things. How much are they going to allow him to throw? Meanwhile, Chris Olave is already emerging as yeah. the go-to player in this offense. Yeah, the tight end doesn't draw. He doesn't earn very many targets. And then uh, Jarvis Landry, he's been battling with an ankle injury. He's still on the injury report. And those those ankle sprains are, are nobody's business. Um, unless you have another option, I'm bringing this, bringing this thing back. Yeah, run, run it back because I know that Matty Brown on the channel posted this morning has a whole breakdown of like 15 plays mm-hmm. that Juno Smith put out there against the Detroit Lions defense last week. How do you think Gino and most, maybe most importantly, one of his pass catchers are going to do against this New Orleans Saints defense? Is Matty's video as well edited as mine? Does it have a future song uh, on the background of it or not? I, I don't know if Matty's a, a, a big I don't want to type 12 him. PM guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Tyler Lockett. So the biggest thing for Tyler Lockett this year versus last year is one, his quarterback can play within the scheme of the offense, which allows Tyler Lockett not just to be a deep threat. His a dot, as you can see right here, is three yards lower, which I don't think is a bad thing. Like some of these players that their a dots like 15 Terry McLaurin, for perfect example. You don't necessarily want that. You want best of both worlds. Like Mike Williams, like in 2019 versus Mike Williams last year. And he's kind of settling in this offense where he can win under underneath and intermediate uh right now the saints have allowed the third most receptions and yards to wide receivers who lined up in the slot uh and the most uh tyler lockett has the most yards without scoring a single touchdown so obviously positive regression candidate there um and my last little note here is the saints they're they're playing the most man coverage in the league and against man coverage this year 60 68 percent of the targets in Seattle's offense has gone to DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. It's, it's, it's perfect. Geno Smith pre-snap is literally like, all right, what's the, what's, what's going on on the defense and then throw the ball to freaking DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett on time and accurate. Uh, and the, the, the offense is humming. It's, it's pretty easy to say that about like the Dolphins offense where 60% of the targets are going to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. But again, let's not forget, it's basically the same exact thing like you just said with, with Seattle. Now, sure, they get a multitude of tight ends involved, but what DK is doing against man coverage over the middle of the field is so yeah. much fun to watch. And not to tease something that's coming up, but I was able to sit down with a former longtime NFL quarterback. We broke down a lot of what Geno Smith did this week, and maybe we'll be doing that on a weekly basis, not just about Geno, but some other players and offenses across the league moving forward every Thursday morning. So be on the lookout for that. Um, what he Josh pointed out to you folks, <laughs> what he pointed out was how multiple Shane Waldron's offense is. Oh, yeah. And it's so different than even what we saw from Russ last season. He had a great start to his four game stretch. Right. And so maybe Gino falls off here. I don't expect it after what we've seen. Cause this stuff is real. You know, like once he sees single coverage, he's launching it. You know, he'll throw to the leverage. He'll throw when guys aren't open yet. And he looks so comfortable and confident in it. Like he's getting all of his cleats and he's driving these footballs and he's mobile. So he's making time for himself when these two rookie offensive linemen do falter just a little bit. And then he can pick up yards on his own too. Like, I don't want to put all my eggs in the Geno Smith basket because what we have seen so far in his career, but he is making the most of his opportunity because it's so, it's so clear that he is so comfortable. He is so comfortable which I think is so key for these quarterbacks playing at a high level. Yeah, he's balling. Seattle's averaging 42.2 yards per possession. That's the most in the league. 
So it's not just that game against the Lions, man. Like it's, it goes beyond that. And uh, even in the preseason, there was like one game where the offense wasn't really moving the ball, but it was like a bunch of random stuff. Geno Smith, I thought, looked really good. Like, I, I think this is like somewhat real, like not MVP caliber. But I think I think like what he's doing is like consistent every down performance. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's not fluky how this production is happening so yeah. far. It's just maybe better defenses that they face against playing at a high level over and over. But again, what he is doing right now, when given these looks, it is for real. So Expert. I can't wait to track that as, as we go oh, yeah. along. Let's go to a quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay is eight-point favorites here against the New York Giants. Total of 41 here. It does sound like Daniel Jones is playing on the opposite end. Um, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers because he's another one, like Tom Brady, where things are starting to change on this team because you know people are getting healthier. And namely, Al Lazard is coming back here, along with offensive linemen. How many they had to shuffle through the first three or four weeks. Now David Bakhtiari is not even on the injury report heading into this game. Um, but since Aaron Rodgers has faced so many defensive coordinators across the league, I'm very curious how Wink Martindale, the DC, is going to match up against him because the Giants have been the most aggressive defense all season long with the Blitz. But when Wink Martindale with the Ravens a year ago, when they played Aaron Rodgers, he blitzed him on just two of his 36 dropbacks. Wow. You know, So we know you don't blitz Aaron Rodgers because when you do, you get torched. He's fantastic. He will find the open and empty area and drill passes in there. So to me, either the Giants do what they've done all season long and, like I said, get eviscerated, or they break what they've been coached to with this young defense and first-year defense coordinator on this team and see if that works. This almost feels like a lose-lose proposition here. And I'm I'm amped to see Aaron Rodgers, after his slow start, which might become a common thing each and every year, what he does to this Giants defense and Giants secondary. I think this would be a great matchup for Romeo Dobbs to figure out how legit he is. Cause I, even if they're not blitzing, I'm guessing they're still going to play a lot of man coverage. Just that's kind of how he's been running his defense. 44.4% of passing plays at second in the league this season. Right. So Romeo has been playing on the outside. Christian Watson's kind of the guy running laterally pre-snap guy. And we'll see if, if he and Al Mazard could win isolated matchups, because I think that if I was trying to play against, uh, the Packers right now, I think I'd be very aggressive against these wide receivers in man coverage without blitzing. I think that's what's going to be here. So I think we'll learn a lot about how good these wide receivers are this week. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers, because of Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs really establishing himself in, as a starter, Adam Lazar getting healthier and becoming more of a vertical player. His intended air yards per attempt jumped from 5.6 in the first three weeks to 9.6 yeah. last week. And speaking of Dobbs, Justice Mosqueda pointed this out. Of all fourth-round-plus wide receivers in NFL history to record as many receptions, yards, and touchdowns as Romeo Dobbs through four games, there's only one. NFL history, there's only one. Wow. Marcus Colston. Classic. So while Dobbs might not be lighting the world on fire like Garrett Wilson, like Chris Olave, like some of these other names that we see, for where he was drafting the draft capital attached to him, He's fantastic, and it's so clear that they have this trust. And Christian Watson being in there as the, the window dressing is really important for Aaron Jones. Mm -hmm. The only reason why Aaron Rodgers might not get there is because this could be a super smash spot for the rushing game, too. Like, yeah. it could be a super smash for both Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon's a positive regression candidate. I think this is like a week to, like, cast those checks. Um, okay. Just a couple more left. 
Before you get to there, if you have made it here for 42 minutes, hit subscribe, hit the thumbs up button. We'll actually be here on Sunday morning for a 10.30 a.m. start to the Start Sit Show, where we also take your voicemails. You can find that link in the description down below. And most importantly, around 7.30 Eastern before Sunday Night Football, it's myself, it's Hayden, it's John Daigle of 444, and we go through all of our instant reactions of the Sunday game. So hopefully you tune in for us not only on Sunday, but on Tuesday, on Thursday, and on Friday as well. Minnesota Vikings. They are projected for a ton of points. They're playing the Chicago Bears. I'm trying to figure out who is going to be scoring all these damn touchdowns this week. Um, my initial thought was Dalvin Cook. Then I look at the Bears injury report. Cornerback one, Jalen Johnson. Still isn't oh. practicing, so Justin Jefferson's got an elite matchup there. Um, I'm ultimately going to settle on Dalvin Cook. I, I still have Justin Jefferson ranked inside the top three, of course. I'm not an idiot. But uh, the big thing is teams facing the Chicago Bears are running the ball in neutral situations at the highest rate in the NFL. That's led to the Bears ranking 24th against fantasy running backs. Dalvin Cook has not had a good season. I think you can make the argument. Maybe he's not quite as explosive, but he's at least off the injury report this week. Uh, there was no setbacks in the London game. And I was looking, I was like trying to figure out why is Dalvin Cook not scoring that many fantasy points? He only has one inside the five yard line carried this year. Hayden, he, I told you this in stats versus film. I outlined this to it, you. But, but like it, it, it's absurd because it's, it's not losing the ball to anybody else. The Vikings right now are second worst. The yeah, they're second worst once they get down there um, in touches. I don't think that's going to hold up to that degree. That's that's absurd. I mean, so, I think only the Seahawks have fewer inside the five yard line opportunities to their running backs. And it's not just inside the 10 or inside the five. The Vikings have run 37 plays from the Reds in the season. Dalvin Cook only has five of those touches. Yeah. Okay. The Vikings have run nine plays from inside the opponent's five, like you said, and he has one touch. Um, even though Alexander Masson got a touchdown last week on that screen to him. Yeah. So it, they have been using a running back there, but it wasn't him last week. I'm with you. Yeah. Like positive regression, whatever the yeah. two words combined mean. Dalvin Cook should be on the pathway yeah. to that, even if Kevin O'Connell isn't as much of an offensive genius as maybe we had thought and started in week one. But I also think part of this is Kirk Cousins not really elevating his team when things yeah. go wrong or where he takes pressure and where he takes disruption because this offensive line is allowing that a bit more often than maybe they yeah. did last year or the year before. Yeah, it's 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 been a weird offense. They're still 14th in points this year. So I think they're they're ironing things out. And this is a week to, I think, get Dalvin Cook. I, I think I'd be playing him like DFS. Chicago Bears, they are seven point underdogs against these Minnesota Vikings. 44 total. The Bears are still two and two. It's always uh, interesting for me to see that. OK, we just have a couple more names out here. I'm actually going to go to the uh, to the Miami Dolphins. And talk about Teddy Bridgewater because it's so easy to say, oh, it's Tyree Hill. Oh, it's it's Jalen Waddle because those guys get 60% of the targets. I just want to see Teddy deliver 60% of the targets to these huge playmakers because a little underlying story here is all the teams that really kick Teddy to the curb might be regretting kicking Teddy to the curb at the quarterback position over the last few seasons. Um, and what we saw with Teddy going in there through the halfway point of last week's game is that he ripped a throw from his own 23 yard line. When he saw single coverage to Tyreek Hill, it landed at the opposing 15 yard line and allowed Tyreek to make a play. 
That's all we need to happen against these New York Jets, a Jets secondary that is allowing a 47.5 conversion rate on third down passing plays, which is 31st in the league. So we know that the Dolphins, maybe they try to run it a bit more through Heem Mostert and Chase Evans. They've been brutal running the football so far this season. So Teddy will have to once again go out there and carry this team and win this team. And I'm excited for Mike McDaniel to scheme it all up. And heck, maybe we can see a couple Alec Ingold plays because we definitely saw that against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, it's a great matchup, obviously, against the Jets. Uh, the Coverage-wise, I think it's a great matchup if you have speedy wide receivers, cover one, cover three, single high coverage from the Jets historically. Um, just got to make sure both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have been on the injury report. I think they're all going to be ready to go here. Um, in this game, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to Raheem Mostert perhaps a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if the, the Dolphins are going to pass quite at the same levels with Teddy Bridgewater, especially in this game if positive game script uh, goes in their favor, Raheem Mostert, 72% of the snaps last week. His usage is up just a tiny bit. And Chase Edmonds, uh, like we we keep referencing like the next-gen stat things. I, I went to look at it. He's at negative two yards per carry. The next the next closest is like at negative 0.8. He's like it's, in his own stratosphere. It's, it's really crazy, actually. It, it's really bad. And because of Teddy, Vegas isn't giving the team like that much respect. They're only three-and-a-half-point favorites here on the road against the Jets. And I do want to bring up Sauce Gardner because he has played well, like Mm -hmm. only 47% of passes thrown at him are being completed this year. Um, Or maybe that, that was his number for last week. Sorry. However, last week facing George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, it's a drastically different beast going up against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, just from like a player archetype standpoint of what those two guys bring to the table. So I, I, I trust it this week and look, we saw Teddy throw an interception, but, um, but the pieces are there. And what I love about Mike McDaniel so far is that he's scheming dudes open. Oh, yeah. And all that we need Teddy to do is hit some layups for this to continue on the pathway it's going for the Dolphins offense. Yeah. And the point spread isn't that drastic, but the Dolphins still projected for 24 points, which is like probably a slightly above middle middle of the pack. So, OK, can we finish this in under an hour? We've got two things left. You go first. All right. Uh, cancel me. I don't care. Uh, Gabe Davis. No, Gabriel Davis this week. Gabe Davis was last week. Okay. Gabriel Davis is this week. Okay, or we can put an asterisk. We can go Isaiah McKenzie. Isaiah McKenzie is in the concussion protocol. I think he's going to clear it, but just going back to Gabe Davis, what I said last week, we reviewed the film. He's not looking right on his ankle this week. He's got full practices the entire time here. So I'm trusting that the injury report is telling the truth here. Last week, he was limited DNP limited going full practices this week is an upgrade. No Dawson Knox, no Jake Kumaro. They're projected for 30 points. Um, I'm looking at his uh, career yards per route run, which is at 1.5. Do the little math here. They're going to drop back 40 times. We're projecting this for what? 65 yards. And they're projected for the most points in the league. I think that we'll look back and that this two week stretch where Gabe Davis hasn't earned any targets, uh, it's we're going to look back and be like, yeah, the ankle injury was was playing a, a key part into that. I think they're going to use a, a fullback a lot this week because they don't have tight end. Their, their backup tight end is an undrafted player, uh, definitely a blocking type. I think there's going to be a lot of snaps where there's only two people in the routes, and we'll just see if he is healthy. I saw some practice clips where he still hobbled a little bit, but definitely m- moving better than he was uh previously and in th- th- those practice things are not in, they're not given the the beaver tranquilizer to right. go play on it 
Yeah. Anyone who just watched that or watched the stats versus film show saw that it wasn't wind sprints out there. Like the jokes were made about Gabriel Davis. He literally could not move. Like, yeah. He, he couldn't was, sprint. There was no was, wind sprint. jogging along um, by fullback. Do you mean Gilliam 41? Dude, one of the funnest players in the league. He's fun. I love that guy. Um, now the Steelers defense and a lot of those clips that you saw a bunch of two high looks, the Steelers defense will probably try to run like a lot of cover one robber too to get mm-hmm. like Minka Fitzpatrick in that middle of field area. Maybe they don't. Maybe they do go too high because Josh Allen's seen that so much more often than he has in in, in previous years. And you know, we we outlined this um, where he's just not throwing vertically in comparison to what we have seen in in previous years. I have some of those numbers here. Yeah, I mean, just thirteen passes of twenty plus yards this year. That's 29th in the NFL at just seven point seven percent of his of his passes compare that to last year at 12.3 percent and he's getting rid of the football extremely quickly in comparison to previous years like Mm -hmm. it was a long time ago but in 2018 he had an intended air yards per attempt this shows the the difference in transition of his game of 11.5 yards and held the ball at 3.2 seconds now in 2022 that's at 7.1 yards so four and a half yard difference and 2.64 seconds so he's getting rid of it six tenths of a second faster which is crazy. Um, All of this is saying that truly, truly hope that Gabriel Davis is truly practicing fully. And it's not just, Hey, we have no one else. Let's get him off the injury report. And he's just like, we have to play him on the outside. If he is really healthy, this should be a good game for him. Speaking of health, the Steelers outside cornerback, Akilah Weatherspoon has not practiced all week. Their safety Terrell Edmonds still in the concussion protocol. He could miss their other outside cornerback, Cameron Sutton, groin hamstring he's been limited all week so it's not it's at the worst case it's going to be gabe davis versus another injured player we'll see if they're going to do that like that walk competition where they were trying to walk fast we'll see if he can win those isolated matchups maybe we'll earn a target that way it's like the the power walking olympic yes event at least (laughs) least he's going up against somebody that is also doing that okay i'm closing out uh not with a player hayden but with a defense the cowboys defense and this is shocking this is a bold call because actually the Rams are favored by five and a half points here, a total of 43. But what we have seen from the Rams this season, despite going to the Super Bowl last year, they have the lowest number of explosive plays in the NFL through four weeks of this season, 16. That's seven 10-plus yard rushes to just nine 20-plus passes, okay? And why is this happening? One, their offensive line is a joke at the moment. So bad. it was going to be bad heading into the year, worse heading into the year than last season. And it's already being riddled with injuries. I can even point to just one spot at center. Brian Allen, their starting center, did not practice all week. Coleman Shelton, their fill-in center, immediately left last week's contest, has yeah. not practiced all week. So we get some guy named Jeremiah Cologne at center. He might smell good, but he it's stinks. not going to be a good week <laughs> against what this – Cowboys defense with Dan Quinn, who has rejuvenated himself and revitalized himself as a defensive play caller. It helps when you have a behemoth like Micah Parsons, who moves uncharacteristically as an edge rusher and when taking on blocks. But also Demarcus Lawrence is healthy on the outside, and they rotate all these interior pieces who loop and stunt and twist and do all this shit, where I don't think Matthew Stafford's going to even have the time to look down the field or to look in the backside. So we might get more and more of these like Sean McVay like concepts early on in Jared Goff's career, which sure it might be productive, but it's not going to be explosive. 
And I bet we see some interceptions and some sacks in Matthew Stafford this week, despite what the spread might indicate to you. Yeah, they're one of my defensive teams, but you are a true sicko for ending this thing <laughs> over the freaking defense. Do you have any kicker takes for me this week? <laughs> um, just a couple takes on the other side. Jordan Rodriguez pointed out some great notes from I believe it was either the Rams OC or the wide receiver coach saying that they need to draw up more plays where Allen Robinson is the primary read that almost every single one of their current plays has Cooper cup as the primary. And it's exactly what we outlined where they just haven't had the time or ability to get to these backside concepts with Allen Robinson. So that's something to monitor as we go along. I don't think that they'll be able to get to get into those backside reads because of the pressure and disruption, not just in the front half, then they have ball hawks and athletic specimens in the back half of this Cowboys defense too. Um, and who this all benefits is Tyler Higby. You know, like that's the easy button for this offense. If Cooper Cup is taken away, that means someone who's about three yards shallower than him down the field is Tyler Higby. And that's why he's getting so many design screens or short dump off passes. Yeah, he's one of those top five, borderline top five tight ends for me this week. So yeah, it is, I think it's a great note. It, it, it was kind of funny to see and even maddie pointed this out with ben skronik and how they've been using him almost like a cow use check light and then going up against the san francisco 49ers defensive front last week and then they treated a wide receiver turned mm-hmm. fullback to make him look like a wide receiver turned fullback and ran over his face yeah. and i think that the cowboys defense while it might not be quite as good as the San Francisco 49ers, it might be second or third to that grouping across the league, and they can smash this offense. So I'm really nervous about the Rams, like truly yeah. nervous. It, it was one of my things looking at all the implied team totals this week. The Rams 24 and a quarter points. I was like, that makes sense. That seems rich. What, what if we go back to seeing like the jet action, the sweep action that we used to see with Robert Woods and Cooper Cup when Jared Goff was there and the training oh, wheels. What what if we I know that that's the thing. Is yeah. it just Cooper Cup? That's, that's, that's not Allen Robinson's game. I know. But what if we see like more training wheels put on like we used to see with Jared Goff at the lead? So this I'm intrigued. They need, they need Van Jefferson. They do need Van Jefferson. Okay. That's gonna do it for us. We're gonna end this video under an hour. That's a freaking world record for this channel. Subscribe to it. I'm talking to you, Dave, and Sick, and Ghost, and Dan, and Papa, and Tony, and Lord, all of you. Appreciate you tuning in. Join us Sunday morning. Starts at show 1030 Eastern. Catch you up on all the news and take your questions and help you emerge to 5-0 and as we save football away from Russell Wilson. Up the villa. Come on. We will talk to you all soon. See ya.